All right. So, on Wednesday, for anyone that was here, we went over 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 7, and it was about God's comfort. Before Children's Church, and under, you may now go to Children's Church. I heard they have prizes. <laughs> they do have some nice prizes, by the way. The flashlights. <laughs> Alright. The audio is cutting in and out? Okay. Um, is there anything I could do? Is that maybe, alright. Just let me know. Alright. Um, so on Wednesday we went over God's comfort, okay? Um, I felt the Lord was, was speaking to me to tell me to focus on God's comfort. Uh, and if you didn't get a chance to be here or, or hear the message on Wednesday, it's at, it's on our YouTube channel, uh, for At the Cross and I believe on the, on the Facebook as well. Uh, last time we went over why bad things happen, like why suffering happens, why do, you know, bad things happen to good people, um, kind of like some, some questions that we may struggle with, uh, even after becoming believers, but I know especially before, like things that might keep us away from fully following God is like, why, why do bad things happen? Like, what's the purpose of them? Uh, is there a purpose sometimes, you know, like, what, what are, you know, where do they come from? Uh, so that, that was on Wednesday. Paul started this church on one of the, uh, that we actually hear about in Acts 18. So he's speaking to the church in Corinth. Paul got a report that there were some bad things going on at the church. And 1 Corinthians was a written, uh, response to those things. Okay. So, Paul heard some things, he kind of came through pretty harsh, and um, some people were maybe slightly offended by the way Paul came at them, and then he uh, is kind of using 2 Corinthians to kind of patch things up a little bit, just to let them know like where his heart is, um, and Paul, just like any good Bible teacher, any, any shepherd, uh, pastor, his hope is to have all those people in that fellowship have a direct and loving relationship with Jesus. Okay? So, any good pastor, any good church, the purpose is to help all of us have a relationship with Jesus. Not to think, man, my pastor is such a great speaker. Man, I was so entertained at church. Man, I, I need to talk to Pastor Drew because he needs to tell me what I'm supposed to do in my life. Like, no, any good pastor, any good Bible teacher, and either brother or sister for us is to point the people to Jesus, right? And that was a very frustrating part of our walks uh, early on when a few of us, we would meet at Pastor Drew's house and we'd always ask him specific questions, you know, can we do this? Um, should I do that? Uh, what do you think about this? And he's just like, pray about it. Or what does the Bible say? And it was so frustrating because we just wanted him to tell us how do we, what are we supposed to do? And, and, and that was wisdom. And I see it now. It wasn't, you know, in my mind back then, I was like, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's lazy. Right. But it makes so much sense because God will take somebody who's used by the Lord and sometimes he'll move them or take them home or, you know, um, the hope is we don't want to have a relationship with the, the leader. We want to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's any good church, any good uh, Bible teacher, uh, any good shepherd is going to point us to Jesus. Because that's where, that's where the, the real, you know, the real relationship should be. That's where the power is from. There's no power in a person. How God can use people is God will 
use people who are legitimately following God and then pointing out in their life, hey, look at that. You see that? That looks different, right? Do you see the fruit that comes out of it? Do you see that they, they sound a little differently? They, they look a little different. Uh, their choices are a little different. All right, do you see the results from it? Okay, now not everything is going to just be riches and wealth and prosperity, but there's going to be a peace that that person has that's different when they follow what God says. And God will point those things out. And just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? And if we start following people, start following each other, guess what happens? We're going to let each other down because we're not God. Right. And even in our best intentions, you know, I teaching more. I'm starting to see like I talk. I'm, I'm talking a lot. Right. And talking a lot. I'm probably going to say some really dumb things just from talking so much. Right. So being in a speaking ministry, like if you if you really break down everything someone says, they're going to say things that seem maybe maybe offensive towards someone by accident. Right. I don't, not thinking about it, like when I put the message together, I can't wait to offend somebody. But in talking, sometimes you just accidentally offend somebody. We could offend each other accidentally, not on purpose, right? Um, so that's the importance of having the relationship with God and not necessarily our relationship with God is based on, on this here, okay? So over these years, Paul has learned that he has his own plans, Okay, Paul has his own plans, like he wanted to preach to the Jews. He wanted to uh, convert all the, the Pharisees that he went to school with and tell them all about Jesus and tell them, hey, you know, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, it's Jesus and this is why and here's all the scriptures and bam, 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 bam. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to have you go preach to the Gentiles. Like, you know, so... Paul's like, I'm going here. And then God's like, no, you're going there. So he's learned in his life that he may have plans, but God has different plans sometimes. And he's learned to be humble enough to, to be open to those plans. How many times do we have our own thoughts about what we're going to do with our lives? I'm going to do this, and by this year I'm going to be here, and I'm going to have this house, and I'm going to have that house, I'm going to rent that house out, and that the renter is going to pay my money, and then uh, my mortgage, and then I'm going to do this, and then, right? And then God's like, uh, all right, you just lost your job or something. It's, it's like, oh, oh, okay. I had plans, right? I had plans. Um, being 22, 23, um, I was reading, I was, I was searching, right? Searching for in life. I was reading Anthony Robbins books before I got saved, right? I'm searching. I'm reading these thick books. I'm going to go walk on coals and I'm trying to figure out life, right? I'm, I'm reading all these self-help books, Napoleon Hill. I'm going to all these, I don't know if you guys remember, there's something called Learning Annex. It was like TED Talks before there was TED Talks. I was going, I was a, a licensed real estate agent at 18 years old. I was doing mortgages at 19. Um, my wife's dad, was uh, Reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, all, you know, nice book, I guess, right? Um, but that was my plan. I was going to be rich, right? So my rich dad was was my wife's dad, and my poor dad was my regular dad. And my rich dad was telling me that I need to do all these things. And he had all the plans laid out for us. We were going to have this real estate team. It was going to be killer. Catherine was a, a killer uh, salesperson, still is. Um, and that was like... She was just really good at it. I hated everything about sales. I hated, uh, you know, the whole process of it, everything. If, you know, the, the confrontation, Catherine loves that. Someone says no to her. She loves it. She goes right back. Hey, and I'm like, oh, my life is ruined. Like, we're just different, right? So I see her. She's taken off me. I, I'm like, this is the worst. So, I'm like, I can't do this sales thing. I'm like, I need to learn how. My friend, he owned a sales business, phone calls. Uh, Madison Who's Who. That was the name of the company. I'd call people up. Hey, how you doing? I had to have a fake name. This is Mike Cameron, former Mets baseball player, by the way. This is Mike Cameron from Madison Who's Who. How are you today? Uh, now, we, then we tell them that they've got selected to be part of some Who's Who, which is basically like a worthless 
book that says that, you know, we're honoring you as like a business person. And, um, you know, you're already in it, but for a small fee, you can, you know, get the actual book, which, by the way, there was no book at the time when I was working there. It was a total scam. Um, and remember, I wasn't saved. I had no integrity at this point. Um, and you were going to be part of this book, and for just $1,000, you could be a lifetime member, and people were actually doing it. And then, in the midst of this, I get saved. And now I'm on the phone with, like, a 70-year-old Irish woman, sweetest lady, and she's like, oh, how are you? I'm not going to do the accent. And she's telling me, um, I'm so close, I'm so close to doing it, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not there yet for the Irish. So sweet lady, and she's like, oh, lifetime, the lifetime, lifetime, uh, plan sounds great. And I'm like, you know, it's a thousand dollars. I'm like, that's a lot of money. She's like, no, that's fine. I'm like, you know, listen, how about this? Why don't you start off with the one year? And if you like it, then you could always upgrade later. And she's like, no, I really, I almost said, I really want this, the lifetime. I'm like, um, I'm like, no, just do the one year. In fact, I'm going to give you like the discounted one year, um, and then see if you actually use it, right? Um, and I just was so, now I'm a Christian, right? And I just get saved and I'm so convicted and I'm thinking like, I feel like such a scumbag. Like, this is my life. I'm getting up every day to tell people about something I don't believe in. So then I quit that job and then I go to work in construction management. Uh, I work for, in the back of a laundromat in Harlem, across the street from the Rucker, uh, which is like on 150 something of Frederick Douglass. And I'm, I'm working in construction, construction management for a Korean guy and I have no idea what I'm doing, like at all. Like, I'm like, I don't know anything about construction. He's like, oh, don't, Andrew, you, you, don't worry. You, you good, right? So now, before I know, I'm laying these tiles down, these doll tiles. I'm, I'm like laying tiles down in a, in a school auditorium. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So he's a Christian and he's like, Andrew, you can do all things through Christ who strengthen you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now I'm working here. I'm doing construction management. Um, I'm like, what am I supposed to do all day? He's like, just you make calls, you put price jobs, and I'm like calling. I'm trying to figure out the the cost of a screw to figure out how much a job is, and like, and that's now looking back, like, it, I don't think it was that technical. Um, and we were getting jobs because it, it was like they had contracts with with uh, public, you know, public funds, and it was a whole thing. I, I didn't really have, I didn't really have a job. I was kind of just an extra worker there, uh, so that was torture. And then I'm like, I'm like, look, I can't do this. I quit, right? He's like, and he starts like yelling at me. He's like, no, He's like you don't quit. And then um, I was like, okay, I'm sorry. And then I didn't quit. But then I'm like, no, I am quitting. The next morning, I just, I just kept going straight on uh, the FDR. I like, I was supposed to get off the FDR, and I just, I just went straight over the George Washington Bridge, and I didn't stop. Um, and then a friend of mine calls me up. And he says, hey, look, uh, there's a Jewish after school that one day a week uh, you could work at an after school teaching sports, right? And I was like, all right, let me do it, right? So now I quit that job working five days a week. I go away from the plan of my, of my father-in-law, which was to make this killer real estate team where we were going to buy, you know, huge commercial properties and we were going to be a real estate juggernaut. Um, and I go to work at a Jewish center one day a week. Then I worked at an after school in Far Rockaway the other, another day of the week. And I started doing Bible studies with, with students, um, in Far Rockaway, going over their houses, um, like other counselors that were there and started thinking like, I think I could, I think I'm going to be a teacher. And I didn't like kids. Like, don't tell my kids, like, I didn't like them, right? Like, I didn't like, I didn't have any patience. I didn't have any love for kids. Like, I liked sports. Even when I was a camp counselor, um, it was more for me. Like, I was just playing sports, like, dunking on kids and, like, and, like, going, like, going off. But it was my camp and I, like, I just happened to be, like, in charge of kids, like, you know, um, and then I was like, the Lord was telling me, go back to school. And then that's when I became, you know, went to school to become a teacher. Um, and I, I really thought teachers were were losers who couldn't make it in the real world. This was the mindset of the rich dad, poor dad, um, because you were just a sucker, right? This was, you were a sucker who's working for someone else. You're working for someone to make them, uh, you know, to make them money. 
right? But the rich dad mentality, Robert Kiyosaki is like, no, you have to be the, the system. You make, you let other suckers work for you. You let the system make you money, right? And you're a sucker if you work for someone. So that was my mentality, right? Um, and man, I felt so free. And there was, you know, there was tough times, but now looking back, I know that over the years, I had my plans, and I know that God has his plans, right? And his plans are way above my plans. Now, even still, I could think about my worldly wisdom, which we're going to get into later. Like, you know, now teaching, you know, I have a, I have a pension. Um, I have, you know, retirement money, thinking about everything's planned out. Um, but we've, I know people right, that served here at church, who had their own plans, said, when I'm retiring, I'm doing this, right, and they couldn't get off of that, because in their mind, that's what they thought that they were going to do, but it's not necessarily what God told them to do, so we could have our plans, but then God has his plans, and we have to be open enough and flexible enough to know that God's plans are way above our plans, we may not make sense to us, and financially, it's like, Okay, but that doesn't make perfect sense. But when you step out in faith, the peace and the faith that God will provide for you is way above. And us as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us that the world does not have. But a lot of times we'll go to the world to ask for advice. Like, what do you think I should do? Right? Or chat GPT. What's the most effective way of uh, living my dream? Right? <laughs> right? We'll ask Google what to do. But God's ways are not our ways, way above, and God knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows where we're going to be. He knows the circumstances, who we're going to come across. But the goal is, in life, is to get our perspective off of us and onto what God's perspective is. And then once we get there, what a world. It just changes the whole thing. Like, And it takes, it takes faith, and it's scary, and some of it is humility. And it's the pride that, no, I'm in charge of my life. And God, you can have a little bit of my life, but not too much. I'm going to hold back some. But when you start to take those steps of faith and let God get all of it, wow, what a blessing. And like, it's like God has bad things for us. God has awesome things for us. He wants the best for us. Way, way, way better than we ever thought or imagined. Not even things we thought we, we wanted or needed, right? Like, I didn't think I was going to be a dad, of a kid and love and like have two children, one on the way. Like, I didn't think I was going to now have my own business, right? And be teaching here in a, in a suit, like Kyle said, looking like a, looking like a lawyer, right? Looking super Jewish. Like, I didn't know that this was in plan when I was, when I was calling up, cold calling people, uh, telling them how much they, I didn't see any of this stuff. But it was steps, small steps, small steps, right? And, and you may not be called to, to a speaking ministry, but like when you find the ministry that God's called you to, it's awesome, right? And even like in smaller ways, like people that he has you come to minister to, you're going to see like, wow. And it, it's like, what was holding me back? Ah, he has such good stuff for us. He loves us. So, so today we're going to look at some of the trouble that Paul got into while spreading the gospel. Paul wants to make peace with this church in Corinth. Uh, other false teachers would come in after Paul. He had, he had some drama going on. They would try to undermine his teaching. Any, anything that he didn't do that was like perfect, they would come through and come start bad-mouthing him. They were just trying to take him down. So know that too um, with people in leadership. But especially, uh, right, for our pastor, we have to protect against uh, any type of gossip that's, that, that can start amongst the church because it even happened to Paul. Paul started this church, and he's the one that built it from the ground up. God used him to do that. And as soon as things got good, then all of a sudden now all the people want to come and, and take credit and try to take over, right? Um, and that, that could happen here over time, right? Like when this church was only three people and we were chilling on Drew's futon and we were in the VFW and, you know, or on the other side of the wall, but we will see as the Lord, if the Lord continues to grow this church, all of a sudden people might come in and they're gonna, they could start bad mouthing this or that or this decision, that decision. So it happened to Paul, it'll probably happen here as well. So we have to just be on guard 
um, you know, and just be a loving, uh, a loving group that supports each other, tries to lift each other up, um, because that is going to happen. If it happened then, it's going to happen again. Uh, we're also going to look at something called intercessory prayer. How we do it, what is it, why is it important? Um, Paul was asking for it. All right. So 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble who came to us in Asia, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the drama that went on with Paul where he basically thought he was dead. Right? It's like, it got that bad. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible wants us to know the trouble that Paul faced in Asia. All right, this is not Asia like like China Asia, but the Asia Minor, the area of Greece and, and that area. I'm going to show you guys a map later. Um, this was probably, he was speaking of the three years that he spent in a place called Ephesus. That's where we get the book of Ephesians. Uh, he was destroying the idol business. Okay, and maybe in in our in our walks with with Jesus, we might be destroying some people's uh, business because of our integrity, and people don't like that. So what happened was, um, actually, I'll I'll read about it. Let's just take a look. In Acts 19, uh, if you can, just try to imagine like a like a book. Uh, Acts 19, 21 to 41, or try to imagine like it's happening like a movie. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Okay, so Rome. So he sent, he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a commotion about the way. The way, those are Christians, okay? The way, the truth, and the life. So people that were Christians at the time were say, said that they were followers of the way, okay? Now there was a commotion that started. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought... No small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods, which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger, of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. They were like, Hey, what's going on? I don't know. Let's go. And there was just confusion because they, they, they knew that this something that Paul said was awesome, but then they were like, wait, but what about our past? What about the way I grew up? What about, you know, all those rituals that we used to do growing up? Wait, okay, maybe those, you know, this isn't good. Rust into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companion, and when and when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So think about that. Thousands of people who wanted to kill him for messing up their business. And what does Paul want to do? He wants to go in there and preach, right? That's, that's his heart. Some therefore cried one thing and 
and some another. For the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for two hours, Great is Diana the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is this who do not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image and of the image which fell from down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of, blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro, pro, uh, proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another, but if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly, for we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So you could imagine this, the chaos, right? There was... The Demetrius was like the union leader and he was riling up his men to try to get everybody worked up to saying, don't forget, this is Diana's town. And, and this guy's trying to mess with it, right? And there was chaos. And then this guy, the city clerk, kind of brought some peace to the area, right? So this is what Paul was dealing with, right? This is what Paul was dealing with. He was sentenced, like he was this close, like they probably would have ripped him limb from limb if he actually got in there. But, you know, he was like, I'm just going to go tell him about Jesus. I'm going to go tell him. I'm sure they'll understand. But they didn't even want to hear from like a Jew, right? Uh, in verse 11, uh, it points out the power of intercessory prayer. He said, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So he was saying that you know, you're through your prayers, there's power in your prayers, right? Sometimes people think that we're praying and like, you don't see anything. So you may think like, am I even praying to anybody? Like, is anyone hearing? But there's a power in prayer and there's power in intercessory prayer. That's like when you start to pray for someone else. Uh, inter intercessory prayer is just the act of praying on behalf of others. And I'm sure many of us have had some awesome breakthroughs with the Lord with prayers that we've prayed for each other that maybe we didn't even know about. Like, you might be praying for me, right? I'm praying for you. And you don't know, but maybe some strongholds are being broken down, right? Things in the, that are going on in the spiritual realm that have been messing with us, uh, you know, principalities and powers, things that we don't see. We can pray for one another and, and fight in that in that realm not that we're doing it but but that God's doing it through the power of the holy spirit and we see this in the old testament we see many prophets interceding for the jewish people moses uh sticks out for praying for the jewish people right pictures of jesus like uh in the old testament where where god wanted to take take the jewish people out moses is like please don't right we remember abraham praying for sodom Right, where he's trying to pray for them and trying to turn them from their ways. In the New Testament, the ultimate interceder we know is Jesus, right? And he intercedes for us all the time, right? On behalf of us to the Father. He's the one mediator between God and man. The one mediator between God and man, right? We, and it's interesting, we could look at this when there are still people today who make saints. Right, and we just talked about. I mean, this is the different saint. They were the the saint of uh, you know the the god of Diana, right? But there's people today whose job right is to have these stores that make saints, that have candles, that have all these things that they think there's power in. But when we read the Bible, we would not get any of that from it, right? And all the, the all the funky doctrine that is related to Christianity that you're like, wait. Like, but I don't understand. Those things have have been started by men, and the only way to get those and to think that it's real is to read a book about it. So if you're going to a church where they don't read the Bible but read books about the Bible, then leave that church and go back to the Bible, 
because that's the only way you can get some of these funky doctrines, some of these crazy teachings. And how many churches have I been to, apart from, you know, from this one, where it was like, what book are you in? Like, what do you mean what book? We're in the Bible. But, so how do we, how do we get to the thoughts of Calvinism, where we think that, you know, only the elect, uh, you know, are, are, the elect are predestined, Right, but there's no need to really rely on any gifts of the Holy Spirit because there's there's viewpoints in some churches that the Holy Spirit's dead, that it died with the apostles, and there's a whole teaching on it. But you have to read this guy's book to get it because if you read the Bible, you don't get it, right? But it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous, and in in the name of being like just uh, holy, we think that if reading books is going to make us like holier, read the Bible. Okay, read the Bible. Um, and when we read the Bible, we know that there's no power in the saint. We don't have to put a saint in our car. There's no saint of money. There's no saint of safety. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. All right? And for some of us, we're like, yeah, we know that. But thanks be to God that you're in a place where it's taught, because there's many people who think that there's Jesus plus there's Jesus plus candles. There's Jesus plus going to somebody. There's Jesus plus this or that, right? Um, so intercessory prayer, right? Intercessory prayer is the act of praying on behalf of others. So the role of mediator in prayer was prevalent in the Old Testament. We see examples, Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Hezekiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Right, and we see the ultimate one with Jesus. Uh, so here's some examples in the Bible of intercessory prayer, uh, and who we should be praying for. Okay, this can maybe help some of our doctrine and some of our uh, the ways we we think about in you know in our life because there's a lot of hijackers out there who want to take our Christianity and hijack it into something else. And I had to be reminded of this during the pandemic, especially because Christian Teachers can get you on one path, and then they could quickly get off the exit and take you somewhere, and you're like, wait, where am I going? Before you know it, you might be, you know, like, trying to, like, protest and beat up some people because they have a different belief, or you start getting angry at a certain race, or you're you're applauding Joe Biden falling or something. So... 1 Timothy 2.2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So before we start, we start, you know, rooting for the demise of, of people in charge, right? We want to, we want to, of course, you know, support godly leaders, right? We don't want to support leaders who are in favor of uh, you know, killing babies or shutting down churches, like things that are anti-biblical. But to pray for people in high positions, and why? That we made it lead a peaceful and quiet life, right? Um, there's power in prayer. We could pray for people, and that could change their heart. Or maybe shut doors that they were trying to open, or close doors that have been open. Uh, Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So, Paul, remember, wrote parts of this uh, of, of the Bible from prison, right? And he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he was saying, you know, sometimes the, the prayers can help even help, help him escape death, help him escape Imprisonment, so that he could do the Lord's will. In Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. In Romans 10.1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We could pray for people to be saved. So we, you know, we do some of these things, but we don't, maybe we don't know exactly where the biblical precedent is. So it's kind of cool to know that what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do is actually backed up in the Bible. That's cool. I remember when I first got saved and every other word out of my mouth was a curse. Like, every other word out of my mouth. Like, I would use curse words just to fill in, like, gaps. Like, it didn't even fit, but I don't know. I thought curses were great for some reason. And then I got saved and I felt so convicted that I should stop cursing. And then I kind of stopped and then later on read in the Bible that, you know, to not have, you know, to keep, not speak filthy words, something to that, 
that extent. Um, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So like the Holy Spirit was telling me something and then it got confirmed in the, in the word. Sometimes it goes the opposite, but it's cool. It all works together for us to be sanctified towards him. In Matthew 5.44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, praying for those who persecute you. That's hard, right? But God, with God's strength, uh, he could he could use that. And think about the the witness that it provides as well. So there's a teaching that probably came from a book or something that only certain Christians are anointed to intercess uh, to be intercessory prayer warriors. Like they have some type of like holy anointing that sets them apart from others. Okay, that's not biblical, right? So we could pray for others. All of us can pray for one another. It's for all Christians. The Holy Spirit is what guides and leads our prayer, right? So uh, in in Romans eight twenty six twenty seven, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes. So, it's not the person that's some anointed person, it's the Holy Spirit. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you've turned away from your sins, and you follow Him, and you ask Jesus to come into your life, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Okay? Holy Spirit is a powerful, powerful Holy Spirit. That's God living inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will tell you what to pray for. So if you don't know what to pray, know how to pray. But you have to be open to doing it. You have to be open. That's still where the free will comes in. right? God's not going to force us to pray. He might, he might open up some circumstances to kind of put us in a position where... All right, because that's what happens in a lot of our lives, right? And maybe you can relate to this. You're going to do your best, and you're going to try your hardest in your own best judgment, and then if all else fails, then you'll see what God has to say, okay? And in a mature Christian's life, what happens is that flips, right? And now we're just relying on whatever God says, right? And that's scary because, but that's lordship, right? So Jesus is our Lord and Savior. The Savior part is easy to say. The Lord part can be hard. And that's a process because the Lord will search our heart. He'll go deep and he'll get into every little crevice, right? Um, if you've ever had those tests where they've had to, you've had to drink that nasty liquid and like, Everything illuminates, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. It goes through and it gets every little crevice to see, oh yeah, that's pretty good. You gave that up. But what about this? What? That too? Or oh, you think that's, is that bad? And uh, you know, the Lord will keep pushing and getting us to a place where He wants us, uh, out of love, right? And that's the cool part. It's out of love, right? Those things that we try to hold back a little bit, um, you know, I remember for myself personally, it was like fantasy sports, right? Because I love sports. And I was like, fantasy sports, that's not that bad. Like, it's not, it's not that bad. And then like, I would hear, I would hear it, um, associated with gambling. I'm like, no, it's not gambling. And then I remember spending like hours, like researching, like the backup second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers because he might get a start. And if, uh, if I start him and he's, he has really good numbers against this lefty pitcher. And I'm like, and my wife's like, you know, if you put this much effort into like the stock market, like we probably be pretty rich. <laughs> like, but then even that I got into, I got addicted to the stock market, all this silly stuff. Like, and it's just God was trying to get me out of certain things because he was trying to free me up so I could do the things that I'm actually called to. So sometimes in our Christian walk, we just like, we just have focus on like not sinning and then we kind of forget the part about what God actually calls us to. The Christian walk is just not not doing stuff. That's not why Jesus saved us, right? Like he he saved us so then clean us up and then now we start walking with him, right? And imagine what your life would look like totally surrendered to Jesus, 100%. Like it's almost too simple and too hard at the same time, right? Like everything and, and 
when we start to feel the peace of God through those things, it's like, wait, this is it? And it's almost like, wait, but there has to be something else. But when you've experienced the peace of God from simple just obedience, it's the greatest thing in the world. And that's where God wants us to live. And then as he starts to build in our faith and trust, then he'll start asking us to, okay, now I want you to do, take this step. And we take the step. And then we want you to take this step and this step. And then before we know it, it's like, man, how'd that guy's life get like that? Like, I can't believe that, that person must have some special, you know, some, some super strength or something. No, that's just small steps, right? We look at the life of Pastor Drew, like, he moved out from California, took a small step of, um, you know, coming out on a missionary trip, taking a small step to opening. He feels like the Lord was telling him to open a church, starts off as like a little Bible study, takes a small step to wait for his wife, right? We talked about in the servants meeting, 15 years of marriage, right? A lot of us, some of us here saw that whole process of fully trusting the Lord. We saw the process of of the church moving from place to place, growing, like, you know, all those things. But he it's not like God would have asked him right away in his walk to go start a church. It starts off with small little steps, little things, and as he builds our trust, right? Um that's just that's just like basic wisdom. So first Corinthians one, twelve to fourteen, for our boasting is this the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. So he was saying that they lived a sincere life that they preached and it matched with their personal life. Okay? We want to, there's such power in that, right? If you guys haven't noticed that, right? When you actually say something and actually live it, there's power in that. And then you even speak about it differently. Like you speak about it from a place of confidence because I know what it's like to fake it here in church. Right? I, I've done it. I did it for years, faking it. Sunday after Sunday, being hungover, like just one world, one foot in the world, one foot, just living in chaos. And then church is over and I'm feeling a little better because I just got, I just fed my spirit and I'm like, all right, now I'm going to do it for real. And then the temptation comes and I fall back and it's just time after time, year after year, just kind of going through the motions, right? But God wants to get us to a place where we preach and our life matches it. And it's, and he could do it. He could do that in all, in all of our lives. If you're just willing to, to kind of be humble and, and, uh, let him lead. Like, let him lead. Um, we talked about on, on Wednesday about the comfort of God, right? And, and finished with, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Right? Do it your own way. See how light the burden of the world is. It's not so light. The world doesn't play fair, all right? The world will chew you up and spit you out, right? And God's just trying to protect us lovingly because he knows the deal. You can't live one, one foot in the world, one foot in church. It just, it just doesn't match up, okay? And sometimes, you know, the devil comes as an angel of light. Things that seem like, wow, this is a great opportunity. If it's not God's will, right, that could be a, a curse, something to lock you in to get you away from the will of God because you know, the devil can't take away your salvation, but he can't take away your availability. And he's done this for centuries. And he knows exactly where to hit you until you sure up that, that spot, right? And we talked about having the, you know, the walls, the walls of Jericho and, and you know, making sure um, that everything is, is on point, right? Everything is good because the one place where uh, there's a weakness, that's where the enemy is going to try to get you and he's going to get it over again and then he's going to back up he's going to see if oh wait that area is not actually it's not actually fixed yet i'll go back there again and then we'll back off and then we'll go there again and that's why we'll keep falling to the same sin over and over and over again because maybe that area hasn't been shored up yet right we just think that we could just ignore it um and, you know, it depends on what it is. Sometimes we may need some help, an accountability partner or someone to 
to just I kind of bring it to the light. Sometimes we got to bring those things to the light, right? We're, there's nobody different in here than anybody else. We're all frail men and women who have struggles, who have things that we struggle with, right? Nobody in here is perfect, right? We just, some of us might just fake it better than others. Or some of us have been healed, and by the power of God, we can now tell, you know, in confidence, like, yo, God can really help you with that. God can really, like, move mountains and do awesome things if you just let him. So, you know, it's, you know, even I give the example of like, even coming back to church, and it's been a while, you may think that, man, if I come back, I know Pastor Drew's going to yell at me, I know, I know he's going to say something mean, or like, but it's so far from the truth. Everybody here would be super excited to see any of us here if we haven't seen him in a while. Right? No one would ever say, like, be mean, right? So don't let that be a lie from the devil because we need to get together because that's where some of the power is, is getting together, right? So it may be a few months, maybe a few weeks. The quicker the better, right? To get back into fellowship because remember, the, the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you've ever seen the, you know, the, you know, the National Geographic, they want to get the weakest one by themselves, so they could destroy it, right? If you get the herd of buffalo, like, they'll protect, right? And the, and the lions can't do anything. But if the devil could get us by ourselves, isolated, that's when it just starts going all through you, okay? So quickly, confess those sins, get back. Confess those sins and get back. For we are not writing any other thing to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood, as in part, that we are your boast, as you are ours, in the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is reminding them of the bond they have together, the love he has for them, because he was a little he was a little harsh with them in First Corinthians, so he's trying to just remind them of, of his love. And this and in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by the way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. So but Paul got sidetracked on his way to Corinth. So if you kinda have a a visual we can get a visual here. Um I don't think this thing will work. But if you see Macedonia is up uh, is up top on the left, okay? So he was coming from there. You can see all the other churches that he's been at. The church at Philippi. That's where he wrote Corinth, uh, Second Corinthians, and First Corinthians. Um, you could see the church in Corinth is a little south of that, and he was saying that he was on his way to uh, Jerusalem, which was all the way over there. Alright, so, and we could see that all the drama that happened in Ephesus, this was here. So it's not like Paul just got, you know, got into a Netflix show and he just was binge watching and before he knew it, uh, he just, you know, oh man, I can't believe it. it's been three months. Uh, I remember, speaking of binge watching, a little side note, I remember one time watching that show 24 and 24 hours straight. That freaked me out. I remember the next day thinking everybody was like a, a undercover agent or terrorist. You just gotta be careful what you watch. You can't watch anything nowadays. Everything has some alternative motive or some secret message or something. But anyway, Second Corinthians uh, 1, 17 to 20. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. So again, people were trying to discredit him and destroy his influence, right? And that's what they're going to do at in in churches, right? I remember being sitting, listening to Pastor Drew, especially early on, not trying to be vulnerable, listening to uh, everything he'd say, trying to find some type of something that was wrong, or trying to just because I was scared. It was scary. Like you grow up not knowing God, all of a sudden God's in your life and He wants to take over everything and it's scary. And I was like, but there must be some, there must be some catch. Like, what's the deal? Is when's, when's the catch? When's the catch? Like, and then there's no catch? Like, 
God loves me? He doesn't, but what about, you know, and then some churches make it easy because then they'll do like seven offerings and, oh, okay, this is about the money. That's simple enough. Got it. It's about the money or, or something. There's no catch. Jesus loves you and he died for your sins and he wants to, he wants to save you from, from everything. He wants to save you from death and he wants to give you a life here and he has good things planned for you. That's the catch. Okay. Like that doesn't sound too bad. Um, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Paul was not preaching Jesus with double talk, and he wasn't confused. His yes was yes, his no was no. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. Amen, just so if you guys didn't know, means like so be it. So all all of God's promises are yes and so be it. Right? There's a lot of promises that God makes in his word. Can God lie? No, right? Can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to, to the glory of God through us. So Paul may have not been able to get to Corinth when he originally was supposed to, uh, but he does not take that away from the way God works and his promises, right? His ideas were not necessarily what God had planned, right? Are you okay with that? If your plan for your life is different than what maybe God had planned, maybe, you know, you were planning on doing something and you had in, in your mind that you were going to go retire and live on La Finca and that was it for the rest of your life. Are you okay if God said no? You're going to live in some place and you're going to do this or that. Like, what if he does? Um, if he does, understand he'll break your heart for those people and whatever he's calling you to. And to do anything else would probably be like torture. So just understand that, right? So we talked about on Wednesday, like uh, some people are so scared to follow God because they're so scared of getting called to something that, that they would, uh, would dread. Like, I hate bugs. Don't call me to the Sahara of Africa. Uh, if God, and, you know, like I said on Wednesday, um, I heard it said, if God loves those people so much, they would not send some crabby person over there. They would send someone who loves them and wants to minister to them, right? What if God sends me with those kids over there? You know, don't you, I have to deal with my kid all the time. I imagine dealing with seven of them. God would give you such a heart for those kids that, it would be such love because God loves those kids so much that he would send someone that loves them and has patience for them and wants them to grow in the ways of the Lord. And by the way, it is a super blessing. I don't know if you guys know some of those kids in there, but their understanding and Bible knowledge is is amazing, like amazing. Working with kids, being around kids all the time, like some of their understanding of the Bible is amazing. Like there could be um, some people that are in that room that are seriously uh, anointed by God that God has amazing plans for. Uh, so just protect that because it's pretty special. Like this, I don't think that's normal to, to have an understanding like that. But they have a... They're young in age, but they have a, an infinitely aged God living inside of them, uh, which is amazing. It's pretty awesome. So can you believe the promises of God? Can you believe the promises of God? So what are, let's go over some promises of God. Okay. Now there's a lot of promises of God. All right. But here, here's just some. All right. Base level. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in the same breath, in the same topic, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you have confessed your sins to Jesus, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he's Lord of your life, right? 
then you will be saved. That base level understanding for some people is so hard. And that's where people get stuck. Like, but, but what happens when I mess up? What happens, you know, I don't feel different. Okay? We don't rely on our feelings. Okay? All the things that God calls us to are not based on feelings. If it was, then, then, you know, your walks are going to be really messed up. And they're going to change from, from moment to moment. Right? Like, you may feel one way in the morning, but you might feel a way different on the way home from work. Right? So it's not based on feeling. Sometimes we have to kind of just be obedient and follow what God says to do. And then God sometimes will change those feelings in the process. Right? You don't feel like praying? Pray. Because God says to. You don't feel like reading the Bible? Read the Bible. Right? And then God will start changing some of those feelings and then we could come more in line with Him because we have this flesh. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is this a suggestion? This is a promise. This is a promise. Okay, if you don't feel worthy enough to, to walk your walk out with Jesus, we're not worthy enough. And that's why it's called grace. But that thought of me being perfect and then walking with Jesus is what's keeping us from walking with Jesus. But He's saying that if we just confess it to Him, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. Are you calling God a liar? This is what God's word says. But what if I do this? He said if you confess it, he's going to forgive you. But but I'm not but I'm not doing this and I and I know I should have done that. If you confess it, he's going to forgive you. So stop wasting time talking about all the things that you need to do and get in life together because he wants to just the way you are. He wants to take you that way. Out of love, he's not going to leave you that way. But he's going to start to change you and mold you into what he actually has. But we could live in that for 40, 50, 60 years. And then on our deathbed, you know, have all these regrets. We only have one life. We only have one life and we never know when it's going to get taken. We have sicknesses. We have things in the world, right? But the Bible says take courage because he's overcome the world. We have a hope. The world doesn't have that. This is it. For the world, you live and you die. That's what the, the depressing thought that brought me to Jesus, was to think, from my rich dad's per- perspective, all I have to do is make money and I'll be happy. But every time I had money, I didn't feel very happy. I didn't feel very fulfilled. And that money went really quick. And I thought I was good, but then that money goes. Every time I get my tax return money, I have a little pep in my step. Go. We're going to Olive Garden tonight. Don't worry. And then all of a sudden, that 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 uh, that bank account starts to dwindle down, and it's like, oh, okay, right. I forgot. Don't put my hope in, in money and riches because that stuff is like it's like sand. And you try to hold it, and it just disappears. But God, He's real, and God will never. He doesn't. He doesn't change. Our bank accounts will change. Our feelings will change. God never changes. Do you love a God? Do you want to serve a God in Jer- Jeremiah 29:11? For I know the thoughts that I think of towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. God loves you. God is not this God that we've maybe conjured up in our head, but he wants to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. How many people in your life do you know that have no future or no hope because they don't know Jesus? And you have this life raft and you're holding on to it because you don't want to be offensive. But maybe they were just waiting for you and begging and pleading and they're even friends with you and they're put in your life for you to share the love of Jesus and the hope that's only found in Jesus. But you don't want to be offensive. Someone had to tell you, right? Someone told you at some point out of love and it was the greatest thing I'm sure that's ever happened to you in your entire life. But we don't want to share that with somebody else. And that person was in our lives for that reason. And it's out of love. It's not, it's not because you're trying to get salvation. We're not trying to, you know, meet some quota. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses where we have to do it in order to meet our, our magazine sales quota. It's out of love, right? In, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things through Christ who strengthens me. My Korean boss was telling me that in regards to tiles. Okay, I think it might have been slightly used out of context because it's spiritual things. We could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And that's anything that God calls you to. Anything that God calls you to, 
you could do it. And it takes faith. But then guess who? Who gets the credit? It's not. It's not you. It's God. And that's how God works. And then when you see a life that's changed and you see the things and the fruits that come out of it, you're not like, that person's awesome. You're like, God is good. And that's the way the economy of God works. God gets the glory. The world says you have to get the glory. When I was coming out of real estate, I actually, I was working for one investor and I would go into houses that have overgrown like weeds in front and tax liens, right? I would go on and knock on the door. Hey, want to sell your house to me for $10? Like basically, right? All cash though, all cash, right? And, and I remember that was like, you know, we were working, it was a place called Liquid Brick and me and Catherine would drive all around Nassau County and we would try to find these houses that were sold for like super cheap so that we could fix them up and flip them, right? Um, and then that, the guy who owned that company, he ended up, I, I got saved. I was doing the New Believers book and I was sending out emails to everyone I knew called God is Love. And then he got it. He got the email. He's like, oh, I see you know a lot about, you know, uh, religion. He's like, I'm actually trying to start my own religion. It's called Uology. It's the, it's the worship of yourself. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that matches up with what I believe. I don't think I could help you, right? But that, for some people, would be a lot easier to sell than to actually give glory and honor to God and Jesus because it's easier to worship self. We do it all the time in different ways, right? Like, um, there, there's the one exhortation about loving, you know, loving your wife as yourself, right? We never scream at our armpits for stinking, or having bad breath, right? Like, we don't, we just take care of it, right? We don't, we don't get mad at it. We just like, alright, I gotta take care of this. And in the same way, we're supposed to love others and take care of our wives and clean them. And how do we clean our wives? How do we clean one another? By the washing of the word. The washing of the word. Right? Second Corinthians 1, 21 to 24. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Right? God anoints us and gives us our calling. Only God can ordain someone. Right? Like, there's a, there's a, a thought process of opening churches by you have to go to a certain school. You have to learn from that school, then you could do some data. How many middle how many middle income people live in this area? How many claim to be Christian? How many, you know, uh, from what that percentage, like, you know, can the church sustain me? Like, that's not the way that Paul was opening, right? That, do we see that anywhere in the Bible? Right? That's probably a book about starting a church. That's where that probably came from. Starting a church. Um, this is a book about it. Like, the way that the apostles, the way that people were preaching Jesus is that they got saved and then they started just sharing the love of Jesus. And that's how it goes, right? Um, and he's saying he was anointed by God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts. So do you guys know that the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the promise that you're owned by God through Jesus? That you're owned by God, right? It's the promise. You're sealed. Boom. This is the down payment or deposit that he's going to complete that transaction when we go to heaven. Right? He said he's going to leave us a helper. Okay? You ever doubt God? You ever doubt that he loves you? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And I think everybody here who's been walking with Jesus knows that they've been empowered at some point by the Holy Spirit. You might not always feel something, right? But the Holy Spirit, whether you feel it or not, is living inside of you. And that's the down payment. That's the seal. You're sealed by God. And he's like, that's the down payment that in the future we're going to finish that transaction and he's going to take you to heaven. You're going to heaven. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, he's Lord of your life, you're going to heaven. Right? So death, nor life, principalities, nor power, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right? So we should start walking in that, walking in that confidence. Oh, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. He gave you the Holy Spirit. That's the seal. Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to, Cor- to Corinth. So God is Paul's witness that he prays for them and his intentions are pure. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So 
Paul is not saying, and any good Bible teacher is not saying, and, and pastor is not saying that they're above you. They're just trying to help and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? It's not in any way to exalt some person above anybody else. Right? We're all in this together. And the, what Paul is just trying to do is to help each and every individual Christian stand, hear from God, and then walk it out on their own. That's it. This is what the Bible says. This is how you walk it out. I'll show you how to do it in my own life as well. You could watch me. I could, I could pray with you, cry with you, rejoice with you. Whatever we have to do together to get you to stand with Jesus and start your own walk together. And that's it. It's not like this person has a position. That's why like, when you see churches and they want to say like Reverend, Apostle, James to the third power and like... It's not, it's not about them. It's about Jesus, right? It's about Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He just wants to help and help them to grow in their faith. So we're going to finish in prayer. But if anyone wants to have their own time of, we could pray for you. Um, after service, after everyone leaves, you could just kind of sit behind and we could talk and pray a little bit. But how can we pray for you that this body of believers, this fellowship, can help you grow in your life with Christ. Because according to right Paul just talked about, that's that's the ultimate it. Like that's it. Right? Like once we're saved, okay, now why? Why am I saved? Right? And that's what the church is is for. It's to produce good works and to find out why was I saved and how can God use me? Right? So how can this church help you to find that out for your life? All right. So I could pray for you. Uh, we could, if anyone else would like to stay around and pray for others. All right. That's what the purpose of the body is to help and to equip each other for the work of the ministry. So I'm just going to close this. And if you'd like to leave after, you're more than welcome and have a, uh, you know, a blessed Sunday and, uh, you know, go bless somebody else with the love of Jesus. And don't be shy. Share in boldness and love because they need to hear it too. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us and bring to remembrance some of these things, even when we don't have the words to say or we don't have the words to pray, to help us. Help us to remember each other in prayer, to to uh, pray for one another. Uh, God, I know we we all struggle in different areas, and you know where you're trying to work on us. Uh, I pray that strongholds would be broken, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray that when there's victory, God, that you get the glory for it, that we rem- we're remembered of where you took us from and how you've healed us and continue to heal us and help us to be used by you in mighty ways. We thank you, God. Thank you so much for these things. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.